It's hard for any of us to know what our future will be like from one day to the next. I really don't like to leave Iran and I would like to continue living here for the rest of my life. But last week, many Iranians, like Asal Alizadeh, thought they'd be getting a better look at their futures very soon. A U.S. State Department official says talks between Washington and Iran on the 2015 nuclear agreement are entering the final stretch. Iran's foreign ministry said talks made significant progress. Delegates say that a deal could be just days away. But with a new war in Ukraine for world powers to focus on, a lot could change, Assal's future included. If actually the agreements become successful and the sanctions get cancelled, many things will be improved for us. If the agreements don't get approved, maybe we have to leave Iran. How close is the Iran nuclear deal? And how will that change the lives of Iranians? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Asal is a 23-year-old data analyst. She works in cryptocurrency. It's gotten big in Iran since the economy's been crippled by U.S. sanctions. I need to be able to trade in the international markets. I can't use them now. And I need some platforms to use for my job for trading. Because of the sanctions, there are lots of difficulties for me in my job. Last week, talks to revive the nuclear deal seemed to be nearing an end. And Asal was letting herself hope a little bit about what might happen next. When these problems become solved, we would happily continue living here and actually developing many different businesses. There are lots of potential here. Lots of Iranian young people have university degrees. Lots of people are working hard to reach their dreams. We were introduced to Asal by our colleague Maziar Mutamadi. He's been on the podcast talking about Iran before. I'm Maziar Mutamadi, and I cover Iran for AlJazeera.com. And you are based in Tehran. So how are things in Tehran these days? Uh, it's not great, frankly. The economy is still not doing great. There's an inflation of over 40%. We still don't know if U.S. sanctions will be lifted, but there is hope. I like that you usually end your descriptions of how life is in Iran and in Tehran specifically with there is hope. So where is that hope coming from this time around? It does now look like there's a good chance that an agreement will be reached in Vienna. And after three, four years, these harsh U.S. sanctions can be lifted and the economy could gradually improve. Even with the war in Ukraine taking the world's attention, Maziar says these talks still have a chance. I think that this round of the talks has been progressing relatively unscathed from everything that's been happening around it. But I think the war in Ukraine could signal a change because it's by far the most significant development that's happened since the start of the talks in April. And it could prompt Iran to believe that it only ups the ante for the West because the West would be incentivized to finish these talks soon because it needs to devote all of its attention to Russia right now and wouldn't want to 
deal with the very serious consequences of a breakdown of the talks in Vienna. Remind us, how long have you been covering the story of Iran nuclear agreements now? I started following the nuclear deal before 2015 when it was signed originally because it was something that affected all of us. After early 2016, finance deals were being signed, foreign companies were coming into the country, and it was an exciting time. There was a buzz, there was hope, and people looked forward to what future could bring for them. And what about now? I think it's very different because we've faced a very long and difficult period after 2018 when President Trump imposed sanctions. And this time we're trying to get back to the original deal. And it's very difficult to even do that, let alone make something better out of it. Just a quick reminder, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the JCPOA, or the Iran nuclear deal, was agreed to back in 2015. It was intended to curb Iran's nuclear program. In exchange, the U.S., U.N., and European Union lifted sanctions against Iran that, at that point, had cost the country well over $100 billion. At the time, as Maziar says, reports coming out of Iran were very hopeful. I feel a little lighter from all that tough work. Thank you, Dr. Rouhani, and thank you, Dr. Zarif. But that was short-lived. In 2016, U.S. President Donald Trump was elected with the campaign promise to end the deal. He delivered. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. And it wasn't just the deal. Trump reinstated sanctions. In a few moments, I will sign a presidential memorandum to begin reinstating U.S. nuclear sanctions on the Iranian regime. And added more. We will be instituting the highest level of economic sanction. Iran shot down a U.S. drone, and the U.S. assassinated Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani. Heartbreak in the upper ranks of the Iranian military at the official announcement of the death of Major General Qasem Soleimani. There was talk of an all-out war. Iran's senior leaders met in an emergency meeting of Iran's National Security Council. Many Iranians see the U.S. attack as an act of war. In 2020, U.S. President Joe Biden was elected, promising to bring the Iran nuclear deal back. But in Iran, there was new skepticism about the U.S. commitment. And a new president, Ibrahim Raisi, who's been described as a protege of the Supreme Leader, was elected. It was the lowest election turnout since the revolution, and it was also a turn away from the more moderate government of Hassan Rouhani. Raisi had opposed the nuclear deal in the past, but during his campaign, he said he would uphold it. Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi has made reviving the 2015 deal a priority. Which brings us to today. And Maziar says, in some ways, we're back where we started. So you have had plenty of time to learn the ins and the outs of these agreements. Is this new agreement that's led by U.S. President Joe Biden and Iran's current president, Ibrahim Raisi, still called the JCPOA or does it have a new name? Yes, it's still the JCPOA and 
At one point, the Europeans tried to call it JCPOA 2.0, <laughs> saying that there's need for more stuff to be added. But everybody did agree after a short while that efforts would be focused on restoring the JCPOA, the original version. So in the time since the U.S. left the agreement with Trump being unhappy with it and calling for maximum pressure on Iran instead, now we're here, 2022. Is this the closest in your estimation that we've gotten to a new deal being reached or the old deal being reached? Absolutely. Everybody in the talks have also been saying that we are as closest we've been to a restored JCPOA right now. But that doesn't mean that issues still are not on the table. Most of the issues have been agreed. But as everybody says, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Western parties continue to say that mere days or weeks are left because of Iran's nuclear advances and these talks can't go on forever. So what are the main sticking points here? From Iran's perspective, there are three major issues. And that's the scope of the sanctions that need to be lifted, a guarantee that the U.S. won't renege on the JCPOA again, and a process that could verify that the sanctions have been effectively lifted. So on the scope of sanctions, I think one major issue is whether Iran's Revolutionary Guard's foreign terrorist organization designation will be lifted, and whether sanctions on Iran's supreme leader, his office, and his top officials, including perhaps President Raisi himself, will be lifted and uh, whether different designations like human rights sanctions and missile sanctions will be lifted. President Trump imposed those sanctions with the specific goal to make it more difficult for President Biden to come back into the JCPOA if he was elected as president. So what do we know about how close Iran is to getting those things addressed? It's really difficult to tell, but everybody has been saying that we are as close as we've ever been to the finish line. But the U.S. and Europe have their sticking points, too, Manziar says. Like Iran is using advanced centrifuges. Iran has to get rid of its stockpile of enriched uranium. There is also another issue about its perhaps not being the exact same nuclear deal it was, because one major component of the original deal was Iran's so-called breakout time, which is the time it requires to produce enough fissile material for one bomb. It had capped it at about one year, but now it's thought that that time has been reduced to about six months. So if Iran was to hypothetically go for a bomb, it would be able to do it sooner. But Iran says it does want a bomb, and that reduction in the time is still not too significant that would uh, render the deal hollow. There's another issue on Iran's nuclear program and its possible military dimensions. One issue that stuck out from the past few years is some uranium particles found at several previously undeclared sites, and they don't know what was exactly happening. Iran naturally wants this closed, and it says that there's not much to this probe and the claims by Israel and Western countries that there might have been a military dimension to Iran's nuclear program. 
Israel, of course, is not a signatory to this deal and is not part of the negotiations. How are they getting their voice in there? Well, Israel has always been the biggest opponent of the nuclear deal. And in the past few years, it's been the biggest supporter of President Trump's so-called maximum pressure campaign. And ever since President Biden has come in, Israel has been saying that it opposes the nuclear deal, that even if there is an agreement, it won't be bound to it. But in the past few days, it does look like Israel has made peace with the fact that very likely there will be an agreement. Even the prime minister said that it's very likely that it will happen, but it will be weaker. Naftali Bennett has said that the U.S.-Iranian deal that is taking shape is now weaker than the original agreement that was signed way back in the year 2015. They don't really get into details as to how this is going to be significantly weaker. If, in fact, it was going to be significantly weaker, I don't think Western powers would want to take close to 10 months to negotiate a return to it. So Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi, was very critical of the former Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani's stance and progress on a nuclear deal. So is it a surprise that this more conservative government may be the ones able to push this deal through? Well, to a certain degree, I think yes, because especially when President Raisi was elected, there was significantly less hope that he would be able to do this because he was a major critic of the nuclear deal. He took several months to get back to the talks in Vienna. It wasn't until late November until everybody was back. And when they came back, Iran presented new proposals and demands that frankly kind of stunned the Europeans. In a televised address marking 100 days in office, Iran's president said the lifting of sanctions is non-negotiable if talks are to continue. The odds of a survival and the restoration of the nuclear deal did look great. But then as weeks passed, it did become evident that progress was being made. So how would restoring the nuclear deal solidify Raisi's power? Because I know that you've also been covering a bill for more restrictive internet laws. The parliament recently approved the outline of a bill that would enforce restrictions on the internet. Is there any relationship between the two? I think generally when there's increased outside pressure, there's also increased pressure inside Iran. Most people are scared that they will lose more of their online freedom because internet connections and online freedoms in Iran are already very much restricted and a lot of people already use VPNs and other tools to connect to much of the global internet and even that could be hindered. But I don't think these two issues are necessarily related directly because this bill has been in the works for three years. It was in motion during President Rouhani's time as well. It doesn't help But the nuclear deal, I think, is a separate issue right now. And in terms of President Raisi's power, if he manages to restore the nuclear deal and lift the sanctions and also have those guarantees and verifications that he wants, then he can show that he's had a significant accomplishment to even if it's going to take a few years to get back to where we were, it would still be an improvement. So what do you expect to happen inside Iran if this deal is restored? 
Well, I think it's going to take a few years for the economy to rebound again. It has stabilized in terms of GDP growth, but the question is how sustainable is it in the long term? Mr. Bryce has said that he wants an 8% GDP growth rate, which is much higher than the current anticipated rates of 2%, 3%. So even if sanctions are lifted, I think it's going to take a few years to bring down inflation from over 40% now, support employment, get investments. It's not going to immediately make everything better, but it's going to increase hope of the future again, perhaps, and have the capacity for sustainable growth. Outside of Iran, this war with Ukraine is already changing things, Mazyar says. Iran's negotiators returned to Tehran at the end of last week for consultations. Iran initially called for a ceasefire, but President Raisi was also one of the first heads of state Russian President Vladimir Putin reached out to after the invasion began. Raisi was quoted telling Putin, NATO's expansion eastward is a serious threat. Now that Russia itself has come under heavy U.S. and European sanctions and more is certain to come, then perhaps Iranian leaders would think, maybe with good reason, that they could have much better ties with Russia and increase their economic trade regardless of U.S. sanctions, and that could have an impact on the talks. I know that President Raisi was recently in Moscow talking with Vladimir Putin. This is one of the largest oil and gas producers in the world, Iran, talking to another one of the largest gas producers in the world, Russia. Does that play into this at all? Iran and Russia do want to have closer ties in the future. But I think this issue has been kind of compartmentalized. Iran and Russia, for instance, are talking to renew their 20-year cooperation accord, and they want to boost trade. And what's happening on the ground level in Iran? How are people feeling? How is the economy reacting to this and the potential end of sanctions that have hurt the economy so much after so many years? It's really difficult to wrap your head around just living with over 40% inflation in the long term. You never quite get used to it because every day prices are going up. You don't know what's going to happen a few months later, let alone a few years later. So you have difficulty planning for your future and you have difficulty grasping things that will give you hope for the future. Asal, the 23-year-old who works in cryptocurrency that we heard from at the beginning, she's hoping things change. I think it's so unfair just because of the sanctions. I saw lots of my friends who were removed from different academies because they're Iranian. I saw lots of my colleagues who lost their money because they put it in some exchanges that blocked them because they're Iranian. Everything is just disappointing now. And she wants sanctions to end so she can stay in her own country and not be forced to leave to find a better life. I think many good things can happen. We can continue forming our businesses in Iran. We don't have to 
always think about another country, another identity. If you have all the good and comfortable situation for uh, continuing and improving your business in your own country, we always prefer that. And there is a window of opportunity here, Maziar says. We'll have to wait and see what the Raisi administration can do. He does believe that he can make everything better regardless of sanctions. So this year he's drafted his budget with the assumptions that sanctions will remain in place. But the people who are in the streets are still hurting, unfortunately. And it, even if the sanctions are lifted, it's going to take time for things to get gradually better. Because we've seen this happen before and we've lived through the worst of it. There is still a sliver of hope, still waiting to see if things could get better. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ruby Zeman, Priyanka Tilvey, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producer is Aya El-Milek. And our executive producer is Stacey Samuel. To follow the news we're following from around the world, check out our Twitter and Instagram feeds. We're at AJ the Take and on Facebook at The Take Pod. And tell your friends to subscribe. We'll be back.